All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, my name is Mike Dice. I'm Elias. And we are here to talk to you about all things MMA. Always something. Every time. Well, that too is becoming like it's, it's that tradition now. Every time. Now we now we have to do that. <laughs> uh, talking all things UFC, uh, MMA, Bellator World Series of Fighting, everything that's going on. But we're also going to be talking to uh, a special guest in about 15 minutes, and then after the interview, we will um, check in and kind of finish up talking about the MMA world because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, we man. are in a in a weird stretch where in the next two weeks there's going to be uh, a Bellator and LFA mm-hmm. and a UFC event each weekend and that's just those promotions not even other promotions that have uh, events going on um so there's a lot to go over and a lot to talk about but uh we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the biggest story ufc 210 mm. uh which story is the biggest where to start i mean that's all debatable uh to summarize there was towel gate which kind of started things off which was uh, daniel cormier's interesting weigh-in um, which was an issue, but I guess isn't really technically an issue anymore. But uh, it looked like he might have used the towel to uh, help himself. There was also the situation regarding the Pro Gonzalez fight, uh, potentially being pulled, but not ultimately being pulled. And then, of course, the actual event, mm-hmm. uh, Musasi, uh, Chris Weidman. So let's – where do we start? <laughs> uh, I'll start in summary, then we'll backtrack. In summary – who else regrets that MMA is legal in New York? I do. It yeah. doesn't gre- seem worth it now, does they're it? They're green as fuck, and they're bad at regulating. So <laughs> there's a whole bunch of issues this event, um, including – so you mentioned the towel gate, right? You mentioned Daniel Cormier is uh, 1.2 pounds over. In New York, you're, you actually have uh, a second attempt. You have like two hours, I guess. Which is not the way that right. – at least I understood it Most because places. it's not that way at other, exactly. in other states. Yep. That's you have a – the reasoning being why it's not that way in other states is that uh, the old way they did weigh-ins, mm-hmm. you stepped on the scale when it was broadcast in the afternoon, and if you missed weight, you had two hours to yep. make it. But the thought process for most athletic commissions when they created this two-hour window was that there's your two-hour window if you don't make weight right mm-hmm. at the first time. It's built into this new system. Yeah, well, you, so yeah, right. if you're not on weight at 9 a.m. when the window starts, you have until 11 a.m. to make it. That's That's the thought process that you wouldn't get it then additional two hours, which would create a Mm four-hour window, Mm -hmm. essentially. Exactly. Apparently, that's not the case in New York. Yeah, and and, and, and as we'll see in these later examples, New York's uh, uh, effective regulation and rules uh, are not only new, but they're ever-evolving and also just being made up on the spot afterwards to justify mistakes um, as in some of these cases. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of crazy. So Daniel Cormier comes in. He's 1.2 pounds over. He goes behind. I wasn't there, but this is as best as I can see watching on the stream. Goes behind the, uh, the UFC black curtain where I don't believe there was any bathroom or purging uh, facilities or anything of that nature. Though it kind of looked like there might have been, been a door right behind ah. that because, I mean, and I didn't watch the whole thing, but it seemed like Anthony Johnson was back there and kind of came out, but like you never saw that him come sense. across. Yeah, that but would, that would be very not typical of the way that this is traditionally set up. That's also true, yeah. He comes out, what, was it like two minutes later, and he, yeah. he makes weight while putting his hands and some degree of weight on the towel that they were holding up because he got naked because he didn't want the, the shorts uh, to add to the weight. And, um, you know, everyone immediately seized on that because you absolutely can take 1.2 pounds of weight off by pressing ever so gently on something. Of course you can. 1.2 pounds of pressure is not a lot. Everyone but the New York State Athletic Commission picked up on that. Afterwards, I believe Ariel Hawani interviewed the executive director, and he said he wasn't aware or he didn't know, he didn't see whether Daniel Cormier put his hands on the towel or not. Uh, you know, that's an interesting process. Now, to me, Mike, it, it kind of highlights like the towel hold, the towel situation there is interesting because more often than not, they have UFC employees holding things. That's a state-regulated activity, the way. Like UFC... Officials should have nothing to do with scales or anything nearby. That that's, that that crosses the line. So that was kind of interesting. But yeah, Daniel Cormier made weight after he put uh, put his hands on it. And then weirdly, Anthony Johnson was 1.2 pounds under after. It was, it was a very See, strange situation. That's that spawned a whole separate conspiracy that the New York <laughs> State like put their foot on the scale and pushed it up a little bit or changed the scale to yeah. help Cormier make weight because the difference between the two of them was the exact same. Yeah, it was which strange. would negate the whole towel 
issue in the first place. But right. uh, I tried the towel thing, my personally, mm-hmm. and my fiance, who's five foot nothing and not very big at all, uh, was able to hold the towel, and I was able to lose 10 pounds by yeah. pushing on it without tipping her over. Yeah. So just resting your arms on it seems like it'd be, especially if you had arms as big as Daniel Cormier's right, would be able right. to. And the other thing that I think people don't necessarily focus on is that he was looking at uh, the scale yep. on the thing because it was a digital. Well, a I digi- mean, he'd see the other like scale digital, anyways, right. um, but it was a digital scale and he could see the read right in front of him you can and calibrate your pressure that you're right. On the and towel. like, you can see that like he's pushes down and the towel goes down and then his hands kind of lift up yep. and then it settles in and that's it. And I, you know, I, now I don't know how that scale works. I've, yeah. I've heard some fighters say that the scale doesn't capture a weight, but like mm. my home scale captures a weight. So all you have to do is get to the desired weight for a moment and if there's a slight pause and it'll it'll capture it and then that'll end the reading or certainly that's a very good point or certainly if the reader the official reader wants it to read a certain way once it gets to that point you might you might officially announce it at that point but you're right it's a very it's weird to use a digital scale number one it's weird to not care about leaning on tiles and all that so that's interesting you know it it is an issue uh for anthony johnson his management is still um is fighting it and, and I don't think anybody can be upset about it. There's been some backlash that he didn't initially uh, fight it uh, before the fight. Yeah. And to fight it afterwards seems, um, especially considering that he uh, retired, seem, you know, a lot of people are like, well, well you should have made your stink then. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's his right. Yeah, it is his right. And he wants, and I don't think they're, they're saying it affected the outcome of the fight, but what's right is right. And they want 20% of that purse is what they're saying. I, I can't blame them which uh, for that he's fair enough uh, and entitled to you know what's interesting is I don't know that Daniel Cormier broke any rules so I mean in New York yeah exactly I was looking at for these other issues we'll talk about I was looking through New York's regulations a lot uh, the last few days and I didn't see that in there there might be but I don't see anything about touching the towel so then how could he be penalized that might be a, a loophole is what I'm saying as, as well so that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, unless they're willing, like all these other issues, unless they're willing to sue in courts, there's nothing that will likely be done uh, in commission. You know, when you go in front of a commission in hearings, you're you're trying to convince a, an athletic commission to rule against themselves or to admit wrongdoing, which itself would probably open themselves up to, to further legal liability. So they're not they're not historically uh, likely to do that. Well, then later or around the same time that this is all happening, the state athletic commission says that the. Uh, Pro Gonzalez fight is going to be removed because she had a breast augmentation surgery. Oh man, this and that that was show. not uh, permissible <laughs> in the rules. But I don't know for a fact, but I feel like there's other fighters who have fought who have had breast augmentation in New York, which yeah. begs the why was that fighter allowed to fight versus this one? And I don't know that for a fact, so I don't want to you know sp- uh, name names or anything. But it seemed, and then Dana White was came out and was very adamant that it was still on <laughs> which we see him do all the time and turns out he was right because the fight went on right but what was was that because they were wrong was that because they were uh pressured by the ufc and they they buckled mm. or um where you know what happened there yeah. uh to, to make it happen but at the same time i feel like that should have been known before the weigh-ins even began like <laughs> otherwise if that if that's a rule that the new york is looking to enforce like fine if you let the ufc or whoever know they can book accordingly but i feel like that's something you don't do at the weigh-ins yeah. like it should have been stopped way before then if that was an issue that's you're very right uh there's several several pieces to this as far as i'm concerned you bring up you bring up a number of them if this was a rule, which it turns out it is not. <laughs> um, and if that rule uh, is a legitimate rule, which there's the, there's debate about that, and we'll have that, um, then the timing of when you tell someone matters very much. Why would you license someone to fight? Is there is there a, there's apparently it, it would it would seem if those things were true, there's at the very least a dis, a discrepancy between ca- the the requirements to become licensed to fight in new york as an mma uh professional mma fighter and what it takes to actually be allowed to fight which is insane so she was licensed to fight in new york and then they told her she couldn't fight after 
that. So the questions that they asked her in a questionnaire about surgeries, which she answered, which is, as far as I can understand, led to them realizing she uh, and, and, and making public embarrassingly, not because she has anything to be embarrassed about, but because that's medical history information shouldn't be public like that. There's a discrepancy there in between like when they tell someone you're able to fight here, then later telling them they're not. But even before all that, let's, let's be clear. New York, uh, New York is New York's old boxing, boxing regulations. In New York have language in it has language in there about women, uh, not being allowed to compete if they've had breast implants, which I think that needs to be argued on the merits because you, that's that's necessarily discriminating and drawing a distinction between men and women. I don't know if they have similar regulations about like uh, surgery for men or penile enhancement or things of that nature. <laughs> so they're necessarily doing something cav, for women. Cav, cav augmentation. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, you know, where's the science uh, that justifies this type of discrimination in boxing? Now, in there is no look it up, guys. Everyone, go look it up. There is no language in MMA regulation in New York State talking about men or women with uh, implant surgeries and being allowed to or not allowed to fight. There is not any language. For them to say for a moment what? They're going to use boxing regulations to cover MMA? Well, you, like, like my friend, a friend of mine uh, told me, today we were talking about it, he, it's like, you can't kick under boxing regulations. You can't do a choke under boxing regulations. Boxing regulations, when there are MMA, MMA regulations, don't supersede MMA regulations and rules, right? There is nothing in the MMA, uh, New York State Athletic Commission MMA regulations talking about uh, breast implants and being allowed, uh, you know, as like a caveat or disallowing someone from competing. So they were wrong. I think the regulations in boxing are wrong and there's no science behind it. Um, There used to be all sorts of stereotypes. Apparently they persist in New York State uh, about what women can and can't do and what things would be safe or unsafe. And it's a very strange thing to become suddenly and so specifically concerned about health dangers in when we're, we're fighting. Like if let's say you a, a woman, I'm not trying to be crass, but let's say, okay, what are they worried about in competition? Like, uh, you know, a, an implant like tears or something. Okay. Well, what is the concern there? What is, what is the serious health concern that is greater than like brain damage, which they're taking and stuff. It's very, very strange. So they, they were very much incorrect. I think the UFC clearly put weight on them and pressured them. Um, but New York didn't seem to know what their own regulations were. And furthermore, right. I, I'll say it, Misha Tate, who has talked about having, having had breast implants, like this is, uh, she fought this past November uh, in a championship fight in New York and was allowed to. So now there is uneven, uh, you know, like you mentioned, there's just uneven enforcement of the bigger a, name got the pass. Yeah, I guess so. Or maybe and she this didn't girl, answer that. And maybe she didn't answer it. She didn't talk about it in her questionnaire. But there's unequal enforcement of a dubious rule, which actually doesn't exist for MMA. That's what happened. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> That's insane to me. And and then the final uh, aspect of this all, and I hate to use the word final, is was the whole situation with Chris Weidman. Apparently, instant replay is a, a tool to be used in New York, but we were unaware of that until after the event ended. We'll talk about this more after the interview. They were unaware of it as well because right. they made it up. It That's was, also um, not in their regulations. It was a whole interesting scenario that didn't play out in a way that looked good for uh, <laughs> New, New York. York, and it doesn't necessarily look good for for bouts going forward in the future um it just was a bad look all around and there's uh hopefully some it's just a kind of a bit of beginners um situation some ironing out to that needs to be done some uh just trying to get caught up to speed and get familiar with things so um that's hopefully will be resolved but i think we got our guest on the line are you there yes sir Yes, joining us. Uh, 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 what's the correct way to pronounce your name? We were discussing this off air. Oh, uh, Rafian. Rafian. That was close to how it's pronounced, it's and I think it. I was putting more emphasis on the E. Rafian Stotts, he's oh, okay. fighting it for Victory Fighting uh, Championships 56. He's fighting for the title. Uh, we were talking about UFC 210. What, when you, what, did you watch it? And if you did, what did you think of all this stuff with the New York State Athletic Commission? Oh, uh, with the the towel gate and stuff like that. Yeah, the towel gate, the situation with Pro Gonzalez, the knees replay with Weidman. Uh, oh yeah, Musasi. it was a lot of uh, <laughs> controversy. Yeah. yeah, man, I didn't, I didn't even uh, the towel gate thing. I just think is uh, kind of funny. 
Um, uh, just because, I mean, a lot of a lot of wrestlers, their fighters already know about that. I, I think he just put it on blast pretty much for the commission now. <laughs> he, ruined it. he ruined it for um, everybody in the future yeah, who wants yeah, to use it. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, so then um, the um, knee, um, I've seen videos where it looked like he, it was illegal and it looked like it was, or I've seen both mm-hmm. videos where it looked like both sides. So that's kind of a hard one, and I'm not not a judge, so that's that's a hard one for me. But in the in the booby one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the booby one is, is. I mean, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's it's funny too, but. I mean, I guess it is pretty serious if if one of them pops, but. Yeah, it, I mean, they should have they should have told her that a long time ago. If, right. You know? I mean, hey, why'd you why'd you wait until they flew her out there and she weighed in and everything was good to go? Before? Yeah. This could have been yeah. a long time ago. As a fighter. Or is it, you know, watching all this unfold is part of it. I think there was so much allure to fighting in New York, and now all this stuff kind of happens. Are you still interested in fighting New York? Or are you like, man, I don't know. That seems like I think um, hmm. New New York, which um, a lot of my teammates and my coaches were talking about. It. You know, it's a newer commission or newer, yeah. Um, it's a newer commission, so that I mean, they they got a lot of stuff to to kind of work out. So I feel like every time. They're 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 gonna be learning like as a commission. Yeah, you hope, know, since hopefully. Since new. Hopefully oh, they what? learn. I was just gonna say, hopefully they learn and uh, grow from. This. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was never. I'm not. I mean, New York isn't. I'm from Texas, so New York isn't really <laughs> um, a place that I would love to fight. You know, <laughs> I don't really. There's no appeal there for me. Well, shout out for Texas because I'm from Texas, so we have that bond. Hey, Where in Texas are you from? <laughs> I'm from Houston. Houston, my dad's side of the Houston, family's from Texas, Houston. H-Town. I'm from Dallas. Don't hold it against me. Oh, snap. We enemies now. <laughs> <laughs> People don't understand, I think, outside of Texas yeah. that there is a there is a Houston-Dallas rivalry that exists. Yeah, um, there is. For sure. For sure. Well, when, when your state is like the size of Europe, you're gonna you're bound to have differences between cities. When it's that big of a state, you know? <laughs> true, true that, true Wait, that. Hey, Raphael, this is uh, this is Elias. Thanks again for making time. By the way, in case you weren't clear, um, this this gentleman is fighting like in a couple of days, which means he's traveling, cutting weight, and all that stuff. Like, yeah, he's a bad yeah. Mate. I'm actually I actually freaking um just stopped for gas. Like that was perfect time. Well, got me. I just. This <laughs> well, it's very—it's nice of you to say it's perfect timing because in reality, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a real great uh, courtesy you're doing to us. We're excited to have you on. He's fighting Rob Emerson. I think it's the bantamweight title you guys fighting for. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. So when when did you? I, I saw you, you. You're listed with Rufus Sport. If you're still there, when did you come up from Houston to to the Midwest? Because I know I've seen you fight like at UCL. I, you know, I know you've been up here for a minute. Yeah. Like, when did you decide to move up? Yeah, there? I fought. Um, I fought. Uh, well, well, I moved up. Um, out of high school, I mm. moved to a junior college in Kansas uh, to wrestle. And so I wrestled at that uh, junior college in southeast Kansas. Then I moved to a four-year college in um, Nebraska. Mm. So then I, I wrestled there for a little while. And then me and my roommate and um, and uh, Jens Pover moved out to um, Iowa for a little bit, for like a year or so. And then from Iowa, I went to uh, Rufus Sport. Oh, Milwaukee. wow. You said so. You, yeah. you, did you, you said you lived with Jens. Yeah. Well, I um, he, I I had an apartment out there, but me oh, and cool. him drove up there together. That's Cause awesome. Because when I was in Carney, um, coaching wrestling, uh, or after I had finished, um, wrestling, um, I helped out, or he asked me to come out to uh, just help out with wrestling. He was starting a gym in Carney, yeah. Nebraska. So um, so I was helping out with the wrestling and then. He ended up getting me doing jiu-jitsu and boxing classes, and then he ended up getting me doing fighting. So then that gym um, kind of wasn't, wasn't enough people coming into the gym. So um, he was going back to Iowa, and I pretty much, and he asked me if I wanted to go through, and I was like, yeah. Wow. So I didn't realize that Jens Pulver got you into MMA and like training, mixing it all up. That's that's fascinating. When did you, yeah. were, you were you a fan uh, before that, or, or, or not really? Man, the funny, the funny thing is, I didn't even know. You know, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't know it was a big deal. I think, actually, like, the first night he came to Carney, like, me and him, or it was, like, my birthday or something at a bar, and I think me and him, like, got into it. I don't remember it exactly, <laughs> but I, I remember them, like, kicking me out because I was messing with, like, James Fulver. But, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And then we, like, became, like, 
super cool. He must have seen like something in you. Like my brother. That's awesome. He saw something. <laughs> Wait, if you guys mix it up, he saw and felt something in you. He's like, he I might, got, this guy's a scrapper. He must have been a little shook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty cool, yeah. man. Jens is a Jens is a buddy of, of 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 ours. I remember going out to his place in Iowa before he was fighting uh, BJ Penn for the second time. He's he's a great dude. I had no idea of that connection. I'll we'll yeah, definitely man, have to a, give him a call. He's an awesome dude, man. He's he's like he's like who I call for like hmm. advice, you know, because he's been there, he's been been everywhere. And any any time I make a, like a major move in this fighting or kind of, he's he's just been there for me. So that's uh that's he's incredible to hear that you still reach out to him considering the gym that you're in you have the likes of anthony pettis and uh ufc yeah. welterweight champion tyron woodley and bellator fighters yeah. and guys making your ufc debuts at sage northcutt coming through and that's still the yeah. source that you keep going back to yeah because he i mean he's an og in the game and he you know he just i can always count on him to steer me in the right direction you know not like unbiasedly and he's pretty awesome and that's so he's just a genuine person he's cool and just to uh, check back in with the people watching this right now, we got Ruffian Stotts on the phone. He's Rufus Sport product fighting for the Bantamweight title against Rob Emerson at Victory FC 56. That's Friday night. You can watch it out on UFC Fight Pass. This man, 7-0 and in his – or 6-0, and soon to be 7-0. <laughs> yeah, they're right. In his, no, uh, yeah, they're right. I'm 7. 7-0? Oh, okay. okay. 7-0 and in his uh, pro career. But he's 10-1 and then in fights – you know, going back through amateur, uh, what's been the key to success for you? Um, man, I'm just I'm a I'm a gym rat, and I'm a, uh I don't know. I just like when I when I try to do something, I just kind of kind of get enveloped in it, you know. And because um, I want I want to be um, labeled as like a martial artist, you know. So, and that's kind of how I was when I was a wrestler, you know. I just like I only I started my my junior year in high school and wrestling and ended up winning two national champions mm-hmm. and three time all American. I just, um, and, and I'm a product of my coaches. Like I've, I've been pretty blessed on the coaches I've had, uh, thus far. Like, so it's hard or it was, it was hard for me to develop bad habits because I, I had such good, you know, coaches going all the way through. So. Now, Refron, you, you've been beating tough regional guys for a long time. In your last fight, yeah. In your last fight, you beat someone with, uh, you know, national, international reputation and career, and Jeff Kerr. And he was a WEC veteran, UFC veteran, you know, black belt, all that stuff. Real experienced dude. He even fought as a pro yeah. boxer. How important was that for you to go in there and get a win against uh, a guy that, on the national scene, international scene, more people recognize? Was that a big moment for you, or, or was it just another fight? Yeah, that's um, that's that's really big. You know, just for my. Like my personal confidence, you know, I'm I'm already pretty confident, but I mean that just takes you know that just takes me to another level of um, believing in myself, you know, and believing in what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I'll, that that pretty much just reaffirmed, you know, what my coach because people can tell you, you know, hey man, you're good, like you're gonna do, you're gonna go far, you're gonna do this, mm. but um, until you see it for me, for yourself or you start doing stuff for yourself and start believing in yourself, you know, you don't um kind of hard to get over that that hump but um yeah that 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 was pretty awesome for my for my confidence and what do you feel about robert emerson as a as a as challenge do you do you look at him and like he's he's been on a surge the last few years another ufc vet do you feel like it's it's the now this is the new biggest challenge of of your career as a matchup yeah for for sure and that's that's kind of how i want my um career to go i always want to um Fight somebody more dangerous than the last guy, and um, and I want to just you know continue to grow. So um, I think I mean I think this is the most uh, dangerous fight I can have right now, which is part, that's exactly what I want, you know, because I want to be I want to be the best in the world, and I feel like for me to be the best in the world, I got to beat everybody, you know, who's claiming to be the best in the world. So um, yeah, that's this is awesome to me. This is a uh, a fight I've been looking for. I was looking forward to fighting before I got the just current offer but um just kind of came around and i you know jumped on that mm. or they you know they gave or they said i had to fight him first so mm. now you know, i'm um sorry go ahead no 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 i'm sorry please continue no i was just saying um yeah so so emerson is you know he's a uh he's, he's a striker too and he's he's getting better everywhere so and he's another ufc vet you know that's had that's been pretty successful um in his career so it's awesome for me. 
Yeah, there might not be many guys outside the UFC who have fought the name, the quality of names or opponents that you fought, waiting for that opportunity to get that call. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I'm putting a, uh, together a good enough resume <laughs> that they can't, you know, look past me. And I'm I'm at a point now where I'm like, because um, after the Jeff Karen fight, a lot of people were like, "Oh man, you should be going to the UFC right after." And you know, I was I'm I'm good with going to the UFC, or before I wasn't because I. <laughs> I wanted to make sure when I when I go to the UFC, I want to be able to say, okay, I can I can make a run for the title, or I don't have to you know duck and dodge people or fights mm-hmm. are bad for me. So when I when I go to the UFC, I want to be like, um, you know, um, I want to have a you know a, a a mindset where I can I can fight for the title at any time if I need to. And um, what was I saying? Well no, say. that makes sense. It's interesting because you know a lot of you see a lot of young guys come and, and, and girls as well come up, and they're so eager to get to the big stage for yeah, the sake of getting the big stage. Yeah, just to get stage. there. Yeah, yeah, just to be there. I don't, I don't want. I mean, that's not an accomplishment. Mm. Like just to be in the UFC is not an accomplishment. Mm. Um, I want to, I want to dominate there, and I want to, um, I want to do great things. So. Do you feel it's got a little high expectation? Do you feel like I know you you just went over this in a sense, but Rob Emerson after his last win was specifically saying, "Hey Dana White, you know, have me back." It it would seem it would seem that although you both you know I think there's a good argument you both deserve to be there um, that, yeah. that that maybe the there's an extra set of eyes on this matchup and you know the winner is going to be that much closer yeah. to getting a call up. How do you how do you internalize that? that that pressure do you like it do you ignore it um do you not like it you know i really um like as far as like pressure i don't really i don't buy into uh pressure i um i feel like you go out and you perform you know and and i don't i don't feel any added pressure i don't feel any you know less pressure i feel like like once i go out there i'm going out there i'm performing i'm i'm you know i'm putting it all online and um Whoever comes out on top comes out on top, and 100 percent of the time, I believe myself, and I'm coming out on top. I don't, um, I don't really like no. I've never been a, like a type of person to, to uh, like like worry about what like what if or whatever, you know. So no, a little different. Rufus Sport is on quite the run this year. No, not even any little yeah. bit of pressure from that to keep that streak going. No, and you know that's another thing too. Uh, coach, uh, I mean the record is cool, you know, but what it's really about is us going out there and competing our ass off, and you know, and and um, and and, it, and it's showing and what our training is is doing, you know. If anything, the record is just a, um, it's just a number, it's just that, you know. So, um, and that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, if I if I believe in my training and I believe in everything I've been doing, you know, uh, a win is going to come or another, you know, uh, um, a finish is going to come. I don't really worry about the, uh, the, um, uh, undefeated or, or however we are. I think we're like 12 and one or something. Or something like that. Yeah. And you talked a lot about, but, and coach, coach also, he also, um, uh, told us that too. Like guys don't, you know, don't feel like you disappoint somebody because you let down a like, uh, uh, a team record, you know, that's not, not what it's about. Now you train with a lot of quality guys, uh, you know, Sergio Pettis, flyweight, you have Emmanuel Sanchez who's poised for a featherweight title shot in Bellator. Uh, you, and you mm-hmm. talked about wanting some of that kind of um, validation before you made the leap that you'd be ready to go on a title run. Just mm-hmm. kind of sparring with these guys, are you able to kind of measure where you think you'd stand in, in the top? Yeah, that's the, and, and, I, and that's where I, that's pretty much where I measure my, um, aside, uh, aside from fighting, because I'm, I'm training with these guys every day, you know, so, um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much where I measure how, um, my improvement, I guess, you know, because, um, there's definitely been a, a, a lot of improvement in a short amount of time since I've been here at Roots Sports, so, um, that, that, uh, um, was a, a test to a lot of my confidence, you know, that, um, feeds into a lot of the confidence I do have, is, um, how I'm doing in the room. So, and, and had you gotten that call? against against like people, people you know, top people in the world, you know, the, mm-hmm. the best in the world, right? So. Now you had talked about uh, uh, potentially having or people thinking that maybe you should have moved up at that Coran, the, the Jeff Coran fight. Would you have felt mm-hmm. something missing if you had moved up then and you didn't have that victory FC title uh, kind of on your shelf somewhere in your trophy case? 
You know, maybe a little bit. I've never uh, you know they for, let you keep uh, those professional. They do. Well, uh, yeah, other yeah. promotions do. I imagine they do. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've uh, I've never fought for like a a pro title or anything like that. So, you know, it's a uh, it's definitely a it's definitely a good thing to have. You know, when I first um, signed with VFC, I wasn't really I wasn't really interested in the um, I guess the the belt itself. I'm, I'm interested in the fight, you know. So, um, but I feel like the belt is a is a a really good you know it opens a lot of doors for you. You got the belt. That mean you know that represents that you're the best in this division of fighters you know and um and i think that says a lot as far as as far as like um well i probably would have missed out then i wouldn't wouldn't have been able to say hey i'm the best in this this division so yeah i probably would have missed out if i didn't fight for the title you would have at least had some and more empty wall yeah. space and then my homie uh biggie uh mike biggie rose got a uh, vfc uh vfc yeah, he does. one of my ex-teammates uh or no did he fight for a girl or one of my ex teammates, uh, yeah, I think he was an uh, RF Zach, champion. Zach Nicolai, he had the DLC mm. belt. I was there with him when he won his, so yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Biggie's fight, Biggie's oh, grappling, right. uh, oh, he's coming to Chicago, yeah. Right? He's gonna grab, I'm gonna be on that card as well. We were just tweeting, oh, at yeah, each other, yeah, it'll be good to see him. He's, I saw, him, I got to see him fight live. Is another, another one of your great teammates, man? You got a great crew over there, yeah. Oh yeah, big even boy. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, he's got you got you got not just this hardware, but probably lots more in your future to be uh, thinking about, man. This guy's got this young man's got big dreams, man. We certainly appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem, man. Anytime. Thank you so much. Anytime. Best of, best of luck to you. And for everybody watching at home, don't forget Victory FC Friday night on UFC Fight Pass. You can watch him win the Bantamweight title when he takes on Rob Emerson in the main event. <laughs> Check it out. And, and tell everybody where they can follow you on uh, Twitter and Facebook, Instagram. Oh, and all yeah. That. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rafion Stats, one word, R-A-U-F-E-O-N-S-T-O-T-S. And then um, Facebook, you can find me at Rafion Stats and uh, Snapchat, Rafion05. We'll we'll put all that in the comments below for those of you watching uh, at home. But thank you so much again for calling in during a weight cut for a championship fight, nonetheless. During a weight cut, I'm about to outrunning Aaron's. <laughs> You're the man. We appreciate it. We'll Doing we'll talk it, to you afterwards as well, man. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. No problem. What a what an incredible incredible guy. The sky's the limit for this guy. He's you know. Big during prospect. a weight during a weight cut, have you ever talked to somebody who's this upbeat and positive? <laughs> it's rare. It's rare. <laughs> I mean, and this isn't a guy like cutting from two fifteen to two oh five for right. light heavyweight. This right, is a guy right, right. you know, fighting at one thirty five. It's probably a little cut going on for sure. Yeah, yeah he's no, the, great energy. Probably starving though. He <laughs> probably sees the finish line. Uh, did he say he was on the way to weigh ins? He said he was I, I no I think I think he meant it in a, a more general sense. General sense? I was gonna say that's <laughs> you really have to be miserable then. Maybe checking his weight. Maybe checking his weight. He was uh, filling up on gas. But yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. He's he's a really great prospect. He's got a tough fight ahead of him, but he's done well in the tough fights he's had before. And one way or the other, I think he's going to be headed for the UFC. And you know, we were talking on the. Uh, I was on a podcast being interviewed as part of like a roundtable with uh, Damon Martin from mm. Fox Sports and James Lynch, who does some stuff with you at Flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, we were doing one of these things. Um, labeling big prospects of the year this guy seven and oh he wins he's eight and oh with yeah. a title i mean think about it cody garbrandt only got a few <laughs> more wins than that and he's the bantamweight champion right. in the same division so because he came ready like that's that's what hit rough on strategy right. was like cody when i make my debut i'm ready to make a run like yeah that's the and and the thing is for the ufc's perspective this is a guy who could be eight and oh with yeah. a title this is the kind of prospect you want this is the record you want this Definitely. is the guy you can sell this is the guy who, if he strings some wins together, then you have a, maybe an undefeated Cody fighting an undefeated right. uh, Ruffian Stotts. That's, I mean, there's the potential there is incredible yeah. for for that uh, matchmaking purpose there. So you'd think the UFC's watching Friday oh, they, night. There's no way they're call. not. There's and, no way they're not. A national champ that's undefeated, yeah. But, I mean, we've had some great prospects on the show lately. Him, uh, you weren't here for it, but we had Jose Shorty Torres yep. on. He fights in May. Or, yeah, May for um, the – 
yeah, the Titan title. He's going after his second belt. Wow. So, um, I mean, this guy, he could go after a second belt too, if he wanted to, if he didn't get that call. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. Absolutely. So some, some incredible talent from both of them, uh, both young guys coming up. So it'll be really interesting to uh, watch. And, and it was interesting to get his thoughts on UFC two. Yeah, I'm glad you asked now. about that. I hadn't thought about that, but it is. It's uh, it's always good to get, you know, these guys and girls talking about current events because they're the real experts. And it's probably also nice to not have to talk every question if for every question not to be about their weight or their fight. Like it's nice probably for him to talk about something else. And he's a Texas guy, so he's yeah. uh, even though he's from Houston, he uh, he's <laughs> endeared to me a little bit more than before. Yeah, that's awesome, um, man. Yeah, it, it it was it's really cool having prospects on like that, you know, guys and girls that we'll hopefully have relationships with on the show for a long time. And and thank you everyone for watching so far. Um uh, make sure to drop some comments into the uh section below on Facebook and we'll try to answer them if we have time. Uh, but we, let's get back to UFC 210 before examining okay. a few other topics. You wrote a story on flowcombat.com, your new home for all written things, interviews, <laughs> thoughts. Uh, you've dropped some huge pieces oh, thanks, already. Um, but you wrote one about Anthony Johnson's strategy. Uh, yeah. Why did he keep going for the takedown? His coaches and the audio that came out seemed frustrated with a the takedown. Uh, they seemed like he... He just abandoned what they wanted him to do, and there seemed to be a lot of frustration. Then there's the moment where he's in the cage, and he's calling for his team, and they're not even in the cage because their frustrations had gotten him, and they didn't know the man was about to retire. So what? explain the strategy to the rest of us. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, like everyone else, I was shocked by the approach that Anthony Johnson ended up taking. And, and clearly, if you listen to the, uh, the audio, which – which you can – the corners in between rounds, which they put out now, which is cool. And I think MMA Junkie is really good about, like, uh, transcribing those. And uh, so you can check out, I think, their story. And, uh, you know, clearly you're frustrated. Uh, Henry Hooft was his, – his head striking coach was on the MMA Hour earlier this week. If you haven't checked it out, listen to that. At least that segment was a good episode. Uh, but that, that was a really interesting interview because, yeah, I mean, people were assuming that because of he was frustrated that he wasn't there. He says that was that was just not the case at all. It's it's definitely worth listening to. Uh, but yeah, what was 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 absolutely true is that it was different than what we expected to see. Different what than his what his coaches expected uh, to see from him as well. Again, you remember their first fight, Anthony Johnson, Daniel Cormier's first fight. Anthony Johnson almost knocked Cormier out several times, uh, and ultimately got taken down, kept down, and submitted. So the the conventional wisdom would be, or even the very specific expert wisdom from his coaches would be, let's keep this at length. We're the longer fighter. We have the more dangerous single-shot striking power, uh, the best chance of ending this fight on the feet. You know, hey, Anthony Johnson, yes, you're a wrestler, and yeah, you're a pretty, pretty darn good one, but you're not a two-time Olympian. Let's stay at range, and over the course of five rounds, we'll probably touch him up. And from the very beginning of that fight, Anthony Johnson looked to wrestle now i posited some theories i don't know why he did what he did i think in summation henry hooft and again on that interview with ariel gave a really good succinct explanation and if you've competed you kind of and anything if you've competed you you can probably relate he said sometimes things just happen in the fight and you don't know why they happened. you didn't plan to do it and you, you you know you mess up sometimes good things happen by accident as well so maybe anthony johnson didn't specifically plan this out maybe he did some of the theories i put out there is one versions of that like things just happen two if you look at the first takedown attempt by anthony johnson just a couple quick examples it happened organically he wasn't shooting from kansas he came off of a punch combination it was a hook the hook off of the left especially if you're in orthodox stance is a really good uh, way to enter the the uh for a takedown they were close quarters at that point after the after the punch combination the punches were coming they ended up here and there's a man in front of you who you're fighting. It's kind of natural to grab them, especially if you grew up as a wrestler. Then you press them into the nearby right. fence. So it happened organically. I don't think he was like trying to force the wrestling. Uh, but from then on out, um, in the first round, he had great success with it. So one of the things I played around with in the article was the idea that for whatever reason, it happened. They started wrestling, and it was Anthony Johnson who initiated it. Now, why might he have continued to in the second round? Well... It could be because he had incredible success in the first round. He Listen, it was competitive, but he scored multiple takedowns in Daniel Cormier if you count the one that happened at the horn. And I do just because it happened like Daniel Cormier was fighting. He was kind of dominating Daniel Cormier with his offensive wrestling. So now, however, you know, it may have initially occurred to him or not occurred to him consciously, 
He's having great success with wrestling. Uh, I think if he thought of it consciously as a strategy beforehand, maybe he thought, I'm going to be a little bit more unpredictable to Cormier. I'm going to make him at least think about my wrestling, and then I'm going to tactfully separate and hit him on, on, uh, on se- you know, hit him with big shots and separation. And he actually did that. In the first round, Daniel Cormier seemed to be lulled into like a wrestling mode. They separated. I think the ref separated them, actually, John McCarthy. And Daniel Cormier came in with hands held high, kind of like he was in a WWE ring. It was very Conor McGregor. Yeah, he was kind of doing that, like the power or Diaz esque almost thing. And they they met up here, and then yeah, exactly like that. And then and then and John Jones has done this too. He did this to Rashad Evans. He baited him up here with his hands, and uh, and then he came in with a short elbow. Anthony Johnson did that, and that made me think maybe it's tactical. Maybe he's going to wrestle him, and then they're going to look to engage with another uh, wrestling clinch. And Anthony Johnson pushed away and hit his biggest combination of the fight, the, including the kick that probably broke Daniel Cormier's nose. So it could have been a plan to be less predictable than people thought. Uh, it could have been that he was very confident once he was able to manhandle Cormier a little bit, and he got a little bit uh, – he pushed his luck a little too long. In the second round, in between rounds, his corner told him, hey, don't rustle. They were very emphatic. Don't rustle. Don't rustle. What are you doing? He didn't initiate the wrestling in the first round. Henry Hooft also told him to ease up on the kicks. He had, Anthony Johnson had a kick caught, got pressed into the fence by Daniel Cormier. In the second round, it was Daniel Cormier who initiated the wrestling and pressed Johnson against the fence. Now, he reversed positions, and at that point, instead of trying to just desperately push away, he pushed in and eventually got taken down. One of the other little thoughts I had on that is like, listen, you're in a fight. If you're of a certain mentality, if someone's been pressing and pushing you and trying to grab you, you may not be so eager to just desperately get away. Like you might be thinking, I need to fight in this space, in this moment. You're just in a fighting mode. Disengaging might make sense in terms of an easy choice on paper, but when you're in a fight and you've got emotions and you're angry, you might want to push back, especially if you've had success. So I don't know that he did it consciously, unconsciously. I don't know if he knows it, um, but there, it wasn't so crazy i think people need to realize a couple things number one anthony johnson was incredibly successful with his wrestling in that fight until he wasn't daniel cormier won one of the clinch exchanges and that was the only one he needed but he won one of them Um, and also anthony johnson after getting advice from his corner in the second uh between the first and second rounds wasn't the one who initiated it again in the second round so he's not like an idiot and he's not (laughs) you know it wasn't so insane it was very very shocking as i put in the article at for for the entirety of the first round anthony johnson's wrestling strategy was as effective as it was shocking so was it the right uh, strategy? No, obviously it ended up not being the right strategy, right? He pushed it a little bit too long, but it wasn't crazy. Uh, there's plenty of plausible reasons he could have consciously, unconsciously done it, and it might be just a matter of degree. Maybe it was good to do it for the first round, and then maybe he should have been much more selective in the second, but the guy is not just some big buffoon. I think people who don't have a lot of competition, I saw a lot of hyperbole in, in, from writers, including some that I like and respect, and they were just a little bit too flip. You know, Anthony Johnson, <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, just a little kidding. too, I didn't even see what you put, actually, because I was like, as you know, I, I like only I, watch the... I didn't do the recap of that just, fight. So. <laughs> but I mean, listen, it's okay to say, oh yeah, it's the wrong strategy, but you know, the guy's not like just a buffoon for trying something. So if he would have, if he would have been like held Anthony, uh, Daniel Cormier down, won the exchanges again in the second round, and won in the ground, we would have been like, oh my gosh, how well rounded is celebrating. he? Celebrating, been celebrating. It's a genius. He switched he it up. He beat this Olympic wrestler. The yeah. story would have been there. The other thing is like he gave Cormier two of his best shots in the two fights. He connected yeah. with his hand in the first fight, and Cormier weathered it, and he landed a kick dead on the bridge of his nose with his shin. And Cormier not only weathered it, had the wherewithal to duck the next one that was coming. And that was Cormier's theory. If you listen to the interview after, he kind of said, like, listen, this guy gets desperate when he doesn't put you away, and he's going to be what he was before, which is a wrestler. That could have been the biggest reason, too. He kicked him in the head. He didn't even wobble him. He's like, oh, crap. I'm, I'm a little like, I can't finish this yeah. guy yeah. With, on the feet. That's very possible. So, I very mean, who possible. knows, but baffling, baffling to watch. Yeah, uh, interesting fight though, right? You can't say it didn't make it interesting. That's for sure. It, it definitely made it compelling. It, it paralleled the first one in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, kind of especially in the second round, uh, I thought it was really interesting the way that Cormier once he was in the second round got him down uh, when he was getting him into the rear naked choke. It was I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, and you being a jujitsu guy picked up on this. Um, I noticed it because I had watched uh, Robin Black's breakdown of UFC 202. 
or going into UFC 202, mm-hmm. it's the exact same setup that Nick Diaz yep. used to get the choke on Conor McGregor, yep. uh, which was kind of cool so to much. watch. As soon as he did it, I was like, you know, and you saw him go for the chin uh, with his free hand to sneak in the other yeah. one. It was like you knew this was the end. Yeah, no, that's a very good observation. He, he was working his grip for the choke with one hand and then switched up arms. After he was punching his way through, he switched hands, and he did what you have to do in real situations, which is get a little mean. You get a chin strap, in this case kind of on top from behind, and manually move that chin up because you need that clearance to get to the neck, right? You tuck mm-hmm. the chin to protect the neck, among other things. He just manually, when he switched, switched through. I forget which hand it was in. Lift yeah. it up. You got to do it. Jiu-Jitsu players out there, if you're at a soft Jiu-Jitsu school and, and they're not telling you that it's a fight, it's for it's a fight. Sometimes you got to be mean with your Jiu-Jitsu. It doesn't yeah. all just happen magically. You got to move that chin out of the way. You don't have to be polite. The guy's trying yeah. to choke you out too. It's exactly, exactly. But very good observation. Yeah, it was. It was it had a lot of similarities to when uh, Nate had the back of, of Connor. He was battering him and then just opened that space up. You look at uh, um, Hicks and Gracie kind of would do a thing where he would walk down and lift, lift with the nose, get an inch. Go lower, lift on the neck, on, on the chin, get another inch, and then eventually you slide through. Mm. Um, you gotta, you gotta be mean. You gotta be a mother effer uh, when you're trying to put out a 220 pound world class athlete. You know? Right. And, and all props to Cormier. He's uh, he's done it. Uh, he did it. He weathered the storm, retained his title uh, in an era where it seems like belts kind of change hands a little bit more freely than we thought. He's a guy standing well. tall since he's won that. That strap beating um, guys that John Jones hasn't. I don't think John Jones beat Alexander Gustafson, and he certainly never got the chance to beat Anthony Johnson. So for all of the talk of Daniel Cormier only being champion because John Jones is not there, well, that's you know at this point no. At this point, he's beaten Gustafson, he's beaten Johnson twice. Like he has his own record to stand on. Yes, he he lost a competitive fight to John Jones, and John Jones can never have that taken away from him. And you might always think head-to-head that he's better. But Daniel Cormier is the light heavyweight champion of the world at this point, in my opinion. No more asterisks. Period. To me. To me, you know. And I think fans, we fans, everybody needs to see that fight. And hopefully, while it could still be two men at the top of their game and not later down the line. <laughs> uh, he's going to be 44 before yeah. John Jones stops hitting pregnant women and doing coke. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> he gets to fight him again. But uh, anyways, it's, it, you know, Cormier's accomplished so much and his record stands for itself. That's his lone loss and it was a decision and not necessarily at all super convincing. Mm-hmm. But the the other thing, interesting wrinkle about it is, is Cormier has for so long been obsessed with John Jones is the <laughs> bad guy. I'm the good guy. Yeah. And he doesn't understand why fans aren't quick to embrace that, which is kind of confusing because he's a big wrestling fan, and for those of you who watch the show, you know that I love my wrestling analogies here. But he uh, he finally embraced the heel role, yeah. the bad guy role, and kind of just fed into it. And having watched wrestling, <laughs> you would have thought he would have understood that dynamic maybe right, before. Right, but I right. guess it's just human nature to want people to like you, and you can't fault him for something that's certainly human nature. But that was also really interesting, I think, to see him kind of just let it go, let the booze rain, yeah. and just kind of not worry about it. And it's almost like it was a moment of uh, freeing. It was yeah. like a freeing moment for Daniel Cormier that might make a rematch between the two more interesting because he doesn't have that weight, that weighted expectation of That's why are people booing me? You know, when they did the press conference for UFC 200 before mm-hmm. that fight fell through, he was, uh, you know, the crowd calling out the crowd. Why are you booing me? You know, boo him, boo him. Yeah. And now it seems like he's, that's, He's come to terms with that, yeah. which may, could make him more dangerous in a rematch. It definitely got to take weight off your shoulders You would, if you truly right. make peace with that. And also, if you're in New York, like he was for the conference and, and for this fight, like you got to expect John Jones is a, a New Yorker. Uh, but, yeah, I don't get why they boo him either. But, yeah, I make peace with it and go. And I, 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 I love it, man. I thought it was good. I don't know. On Twitter, uh, Brian Rogers and I got into a little um, fun disagreement about about whether or not that was good mic work or bad mic work. Uh, I, I thought it was excellent. I, I like it a lot. Brian Rogers thought it was Forrest, and I, he's not wrong. Maybe I just like Daniel Cormier as a fighter so much that and I'm he, okay with it. He came out guns blazing at everybody. Jimmy <laughs> Manoa, <laughs> John Jones, the guy sitting behind them in that row who just gave him a funny look. That's right. That's right. He went for it, and I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was compelling. And uh, maybe he was trying to search for that that punchline as Brian Rogers, who's a Bellator fighter, obviously great fighter, and among other things, the dude also is like I think like thirty master's degrees and his business owner, but he's a fighter. You might know him as a fighter. You know, he's right that maybe Daniel was searching for the punchline hard, but I laughed. I thought it was good, and I think he's a sympathetic figure and you know someone that that's uh, interesting to watch and. 
you know, not that I have anything against Jimmy Manuel uh, either, but oh, I don't have anything against John Jones as a, as a human being. Young man, know, but, yeah. young man. That's pretty good. I know. Calling him young man over and over is pretty good. You know, I, I like that. And, and I do really like Daniel Cormier. I, I enjoy him, and I, and I, I am equally confused why fans seem to, <laughs> right. like, cling to John Jones yeah. and, and hate Daniel Cormier. I don't understand that either, but one of the things that I really wrestle with is how he – uses john jones alcoholism as a weapon sometimes mm. and like don't get me wrong john jones is not exempt from any kind of scrutiny mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. any scrutiny's like fair sure but uh it just seems like there's a lot of ammunition <laughs> <laughs> like that's the one thing that might make him somewhat of a sympathetic figure i i, I agree i think he's on i've noticed it a couple times and i might not be as sensitive as i should be i think specifically using like someone being alcoholic as a insult is, is, is stupid because that's not, there's nothing to be insulted about but i think where he has ammunition you're right there's other is like uh, like choices or the way he acts towards or people car wrecks, and, uh, car, or yeah and not not like tests. yeah exactly performance enhancing so i think he should hit that even harder than he is because everyone everyone is accepting john jones's <laughs> flaccid excuse about it being a uh, a sex pill which is yeah. he's he's there's no like evidence of that he's only saying this is my excuse for using it he was it's given the popular maximum. excuse it is a popular excuse and he was given no one bought it like in terms of punishment he was given the maximum he could be given and the the you know it's there's no reason to believe that it was that versus performance enhancing drugs so i think you should hit that stuff more i think you should hit car wrecks and parking lots of strip clubs or wrecking a rolls royce or hitting pregnant women or running if he wants to go that route he should right. he should certainly hit that more uh yeah the, the just saying he is an alcoholic is 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 that's not an insult that's it's lazy it's it's lazy and it's 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 actually reflects poorly on Danny Cormier if he if he does that uh the other thing though is you meant we were talking about drug tests is that there's an era of USADA now and no. it seems like a lot of people champions falling off mm. uh you know it's the post or it's you know the post USADA <laughs> era you know, is that why this yeah. champion who had a string of defenses all of a sudden has lost the belt or uh, this and that and the other? And Daniel Cormier is living through that era mm-hmm. and not, uh, sure. you know, fell victim to it. Yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally don't put any stock in that. I think that's pro- like propaganda put by USADA. I don't think they stop anyone from doing anything. And, and I think the whole arrangement is... USADA is the works for the UFC, so it's UFC self-regulating. So I don't put any more stock in, much more stock into the UFC's self-regulation than I do the the WWE's drug program either. I think it's mostly PR since we're talking about WWE. But but it has always been exceptionally hard for champions to hold on to belts. You look at some of the records. What's the longest someone's held on to the lightweight belt, the heavyweight belt, like three defenses, four defenses. It's hard to or do. Or the heavyweight division yeah. where it's a carousel. Exactly. It's hard to do. So in any I mean, if you're a heavyweight, area, you probably had the belt at once. <laughs> I've, I've classified as a chunky dude for heavyweight. I never held it. So I know they're not letting only bums in. They have great fighters that are champions. But... But uh, but yeah, it's hard to hold on to it. It just because each fight is its own world, each matchup is its own universe. So anyone that holds on to it, especially against the fighters he's held on to it uh, against, deserves a lot of credit. And let's not get get, get started on a guy like uh, Demetrius Johnson who's fighting this weekend, who's had it Perfect for segue. seventy-three years now. I mean, that's incra- that's crazy. He's chasing history. Yeah, uh, fighting Wilson Reyes. He was supposed to fight him uh, right this past summer. That fell through. Uh, that ultimately that kind of led into with the ultimate fighter mm. t- title defense. Uh, so, you know, what is your, what is your thought on Demetrius Johnson going into this? Is this even a challenge for him? Is, is this a, even a contender who you feel like could take the strap for him? Or is this just another guy that he's clearly above? Well, I think, I think he has so far. And again, this fight will be its own world. And we'll determine who's better. Only on that night will we know. He has so far shown us that he is the best guy in the division, and so I don't, I wouldn't choose. I don't think anyone has. I wouldn't pick anyone to beat him in the division based on what we've seen. That said, Wilson has earned the title shot, and he is he is definitely dangerous. Um, would I pick him to win? No, but I also wouldn't pick anyone to beat Demetrius Johnson at, at at his weight right now. So it's not really I'm not really trying to say anything against uh, Wilson. I think his record warrants the title shot in that division, and and I'm I'm certainly fine with it. I bet you Demetrius Johnson and his coaches like Matt Hume, great coach, 
are doing everything they can to make sure that they're thinking about all the scary parts of him, right? And not just thinking of themselves as inevitable and their victory is inevitable, whether it's sports, whether it's politics and campaigns, thinking as, of oneself as inevitable leads to disappointment. So I'm sure he's treating it like the biggest challenge of his life. I would imagine so. I mean, I was one of the people who thought Henry Cejudo was a real threat. And oh, I to watch did. Demetrius Johnson come out and dismantle him was, I mean, shocking. Yeah. Not necessarily shocking in the way that uh, surprised, but, but it was like... No, I didn't think it was going to go yeah, quickly. I mean, I was. it was so incredibly impressive. And now, one of the other big narratives surrounding Demetrius Johnson is that his underappreciation sure. as a star. Uh, I don't know that he's necessarily one to make that complaint, right. but it seems like a lot of people make that complaint for him. I'm glad they are. Um, what, do, what do you feel like? I think unappreciated by the promotion, unappreciated by the fans, both. Both. Yeah, I, I, I'd say certainly both. Um, I, I don't know that the UFC – we talk about this a lot. I don't think the UFC is particularly great at promoting a wide range of, of folks. I think they miss a lot of opportunities. It took many, many, many years for them to realize Anderson Silva – it would be a star and, and many, many years to realize Brazil can be a big market and he's a gigantic star. Um, it was, it was a long time before he was selling uh, a lot of stuff. I think, I think Demetrius Johnson as a good looking family guy, who's a dominant champion, extremely exciting, well-rounded with a great finishing percentage, who's attracted the interest long ago of gigantic, uh, corporate sponsors like Microsoft, which by the way, the UFC got in the way of him continuing, uh, his Xbox sponsorship, just with with not allowing uh, things that during fight week uh, branding or fight week in in, in the cage, um, I, I think yeah, it's 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 crazy that like Microsoft believed in, in Demetrius Johnson uh, more I feel than the UFC. So I think he's underappreciated by the UFC, not pushed, and doesn't get as much exposure as he should. And so the U the fans have less exposure to him. Um, I don't see what part of him is not appealing. Um, so I, I think I think it's a shame. I think Daniel Cormier is also vastly underappreciated, um, and I think the media has a role in that because they all have crushes on John Jones, and I have an athlete crush on him as well because he's an amazing fighter. But it, I don't. I hope I don't ever get to the point where I'm diminishing Daniel Cormier's accomplishments. But I think the media understands Demetrius Johnson as speaking broadly understands Demetrius Johnson is a great fighter. So. They, they talk about him, but, um, but yeah, I think you get weird things, man. I've heard people tell me, and this is like inside baseball uh, stuff, but I've heard people tell me like, oh, Demetrius Johnson. Do you whisper this? What's that? Are you supposed to whisper it's, this? <laughs> it's fine. Whisper it and it won't pick up. No, but I've heard, I've had other like colleagues say, yeah, Demetrius Johnson's a, he's not a good interview. He doesn't give much. I'm like, well, that's, I found that to be specifically. He loves to talk. I, he does. He's very well-spoken. He speaks his mind. He's interesting. Like he's not a cocky dude, but he'll tell if he thinks he's gonna beat someone. If he thinks something's right or wrong, he'll talk about it. Like you couldn't want anything more from this guy, athletically or personality-wise. So it's not a bland personality. I I, I love, by the way, I love, <laughs> I love all the uh, the completely anonymous like wallflower media writer types uh, that that love to write about how other athletes how athletes' personalities are bland and stuff i think that's hilarious it's bad enough that we talk about these guys athletic prowess <laughs> now we're going to talk about their personality i'm not winning physique contests or like congeniality contests so Speak i'm not for yourself yeah well I'm, i said me you <laughs> i know <laughs> i know you that's why you I'm came not, that's how you moved to chicago either. you went yeah. from the texas uh uh pageant circuit up to the, right. the national one i know i know you got it that or they ran me out because <laughs> i wasn't worthy <laughs> that's right <laughs> but no demetrius johnson from my experience uh having interviewed viewed him and been around being around him he i mean this is a guy like you said open book speaks his mind um he maybe doesn't do it he maybe doesn't feed into the headlines mm, he didn't, might not give yeah. you that click that click worthy headline uh that's a good distinction yeah you know that someone like conor mcgregor does but i think conor mcgregor also knows like if i go up to this boxing writer and scream i'm boxing in his face there's gonna be a million articles that says i say i'm boxing but he's very open very willing to talk one of the things when you're interviewing fighters that sometimes can be um i don't want to say frustrating because that's the wrong word but uh short answers it's it's hard sure. to kind of get a carry on conversation or to kind of um really understand their perspective and feeling with uh, short answers and this is a guy he he doesn't really give short answers yeah. he'll he'll talk and elaborate and explain and uh you know, and when he talks to you, it's just like he's talking mm -hmm. to a friend or anybody in his close circle. He doesn't seem like he's got a guard up. Um, I think but, that's right. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, everybody talks about how unheralded and unappreciated it is. Now that he's on the cusp of history, uh, as he continues to push into that, this might be 
and it's unfair that it's taken him to <laughs> that get it to takes this, this point long, right? Yeah, for that to yeah. happen. But this might be the beginning of the time when it's, uh, you know, he starts to gain some appreciation, yeah. or you know, like, you know, everybody with the Ronda Rousey compared it to Mike Tyson, can she keep beating people in fifteen right. seconds? You know, now it's Demetrius Johnson. He's got the record. How yeah. how far can he set the record? Can he get to fifteen? Can he get to twenty? Right. There right. might. Then the excitement and hype surrounding him might continue to be there. And the other interesting thing about him is he's very committed to staying at 125. Mm-hmm. He, he's never seen, like, I don't need to go up to 135 to prove anything. I'm much more focused on extending the streak, which is kind of like the anti-thought yeah. process of the MMA world at the moment. Which is good for him because he already did that. He fought for the title at 135. He doesn't have – once they created the division. And also, I love that he always had the, this caveat. I'll do that again. Pay me for it not oh i'm so desperate i'll do whatever it takes to get attention i hope the ufc likes me and promotes me he's like no 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 no. i'm taking a risk by going against much bigger guys pay me for it i'll do it yeah. i like that yeah you gotta make sure it's checking accounts right yeah absolutely but it'll be it'll be really interesting to see i, I really think the focus on him you know the storyline the history the continuing to extend history yeah. i think could be the ter- hopefully let's hope i hope could be the yeah i hope so but uh, this kind of brings us to the end of our window. It was another great episode. Absolutely. We talked UFC 210, and we talked with Victory Fight- Victory FC's uh, Ruffian Stotts, who's fighting for the belt Friday on UFC Fight Pass, uh, fights UFC veteran Rob Emerson for the Bantamweight title. Make sure to check that out and give him your support uh, or just watch what should be a really entertaining fight. Um, thank you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you for watching on Facebook. Thank you for listening to the podcast wherever uh, you're listening to. Make sure to subscribe and review. And we'll see you next week at the same time, same place.